Lion Ranch Viognier in Redwood City. Sip, sip, hooray! <laughs> well, that sounds like a fun group. And you know, the truth is, I can vouch that they really are. Mario, I went to a little wine and cheese gathering the other day with some friends and brought along a bottle of wine sent to me by our guest today. Now, it was a delicious Viognier, which was a new sip for some of my friends, and that was also really fun. Well, we started chatting about Viognier, and I mentioned that it's a Rhone varietal, which led to a whole conversation about French wine regions. Now, beyond Rhone, I know there's Burgundy, Bordeaux, Champagne, and a host of others, but we were curious about Rhone varietals, and I had to admit that beyond Viognier, which was in my glass, the only other one I could come up with on the spot was Syrah. Sure. Well, the Rhone varieties are native to France and to a region in France, south of the Burgundy region, if folks are, are familiar with that, it's south of Lyon and extends down to the Provence region. And um, the, the wines from there are personally my favorites. Um, so you have the Northern Rhone and the Southern Rhone. The Northern Rhone is Viognier and Syrah. And Southern Rhone also has those varieties, but then there's a whole bunch of others. You may have heard of Grenache Blanc, uh, Marsan, Roussan for the whites, for reds, Grenache, Cunoise, Cinso. And um, it, it's just great because there's such a diversity and the wines are luscious, they're aromatic. And, um, you know, it's something really different from our everyday Chardonnay and Cabernet. Absolutely. And that's what we thought, too, as we were smelling and tasting this Viognier. It had a great uh, aroma, a great nose. It was kind of floral and there's citrus in it. And it just was a really refreshing, fun wine to be sipping at this summer gathering. So you can understand why I, the first time I had a Viognier from Condrieu, which is like a very specific region in the Northern Rhone, just where only what they grow is Viognier, why I fell in love with it, and why our guest today also fell in love with Viognier from Condrieu and basically built a winery around that grape. Well, sip, sip, hooray for Rhone varietals, and welcome to another episode of the podcast where we take the stuffiness out of wine and introduce you to some really great people in the world of wine. We are the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orland, and we are so excited because our guests today are a husband, wife, winemaking team, and they are in California's Santa Clara Valley, a historic winemaking region, but they um, are adding their own story to the region. Kim and Todd Engelhart, welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Thanks. Thanks for having us. We're so excited you're taking time out of your very busy schedules to join us. <laughs> well, yeah. In fact, we should describe why you're so busy. Todd, you're a, uh, an emergency room physician, so that's an intense job. And Kim, you're a mom of, is it three or two? Just two children. And then sometimes I count the husband and all the animals. You know? <laughs> that adds up. <laughs> you're also president of the wineries of Santa Clara Valley. And I don't know if you're also if you're working professionally in any other capacity, but you're running your winery, yes. Lion Ranch. Yes. So you guys are a power team with a lot on your plate. <laughs> yep. Don't forget my assistant uh, soccer coaching job for my nine-year-old son. Oh well, there you go. Oh my gosh, nine years old. Where's the time gone? I remember when your kids were so young. Um, I should tell everybody I first met. Well, I didn't meet, I did meet you guys. I was kind of on a secret mission. This is back when I was the wine writer for the San Jose Mercury News. And I had to do some winery reviews down in Santa Clara Valley, which is the wine region that's just kind of adjacent to Silicon Valley. And you all were new on the scene. And so I was there tasting kind of secretively, but I think I blew my cover. <laughs> but it was fun. Um, but yeah, your, your, your boy, you know, um, 
you had um, very young children and at nine years old. Wow. Yeah, I was a soccer coach one year and that was, that's a lot. <laughs> my, I think my daughter was about nine when I coached her, helped coach her team. And that's a, it was a really fun gig, but it was a lot. And it, with girls, with my daughter, maybe it was her team in particular, every single little bump or anything that happened, we'd have to take, everyone would have to take a knee. And then the, 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 the injured party would decide whether they were going to be okay and get up and play again. And then we'd all have to applaud when they got back up and started mm -hmm. and rejoined the game. But yep. it was like every like five minutes, take a knee. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And everyone knows I'm a physician. So if there's any injuries, I, everyone just looks at me Oh and, yes. and then I I'm off to go check everybody for head injuries and things like that. So yeah, it's kind of a, <laughs> Kind of a fun job. Oh boy. <laughs> well, Kim and Todd, what I would love for you both to do first for us, since some of our listeners may not be familiar with Santa Clara Valley, kind of set the scene for us and how you ended up there. Hmm. So we were living in San Francisco. Uh, we were there as transplants, just kind of on an adventure. And one day Todd said, what would you think about moving out of the city and going to the country and getting some land and growing some grapes? I was like, well, that sounds absolutely beautiful. Um, so we started looking down the peninsula. He needed to make sure he could still get to Mountain View pretty easily for work. And uh, we kind of figured we'd start with the South Bay instead of the East Bay and slowly made our way down and found that there was this, you know, existing wine region that had been there for over 100 years, the Santa Clara Valley. And it had all this rich history and everybody that we met that was in the wine industry in this area was so welcoming and encouraging and just said, yeah, you guys want to come down and grow some grapes. We would love some more quality fruit. Oh, you think you might want to make some wine? Great. Let's have you on board. So where did you guys end up? The Santa Clara Valley is a big place. So where did you find um, space to grow grapes? And did you buy an existing vineyard? How did it all work out? Uh, we moved down during the housing recession. We were looking in 2008, 2009, and land was pretty inexpensive. And so instead of buying, there was there was a, an actual vineyard and winery who was already producing that was potentially up for sale secretly sort of thing. And we went and looked and didn't think that the quality was there and the location was there. So we ended up just buying a five-acre parcel with a small house that was built in the 50s with nothing on it and we started from scratch and you know had some le the leveling of the land and uh, measuring and and ended up putting in line posts and end posts and dripper system and and then uh, I mean of course we hired a crew to come actually put the plants in the ground but after that she and I tended to the 4,000 vines for the next two three years until the, our first harvest. Wow. That's a huge undertaking. I mean, that's it's one thing to say, hey, wouldn't it be fun to do something? And then it's, you know, to actually move out of San Francisco, get some land and actually be, you know, taking care of uh, vines as they're trying to get established. That's a, it's a big switcheroo from, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from life yeah. in the city, it's right? true. I, I, you know, the story comes up often. People are curious about how this happened. And I, I feel like it was just the right point in our lives to take that big leap, right? Like you have these very few opportunities in life for these big leaps. And it just like the stars aligned that we were able to take this one. And it's been a fun journey. Just how do you even get started in learning about all this? I mean, I, did you all, were you really into wine? Uh, I mean, we were really into food and wine. And so we were learning more and more about wine. We didn't know anything about wine making at that mm -hmm. point. But um, once we kind of got settled in here in San Martin, I went back to some of the first winemakers we met when we were exploring the area and asked if I could get on board kind of as an apprentice mm -hmm. and somebody said yes. So I spent two and a half years following people around in the vineyard and the winery and the tasting room, learning how to run the business top to bottom. And that was at, and that was at Sarah's Vineyard, right? That's right. Another great winery down in the Santa Clara Valley. Yeah. A favorite of both of ours. <laughs> well, for me, one of the things that I, uh, well, I, my husband and I used to live in the mountains and there was a a vineyard in the backyard. We didn't plan it, but we, uh, you know, we inherited it when, when he brought the home there. 
And I remember things like gophers and there was just so many, there was constant, there was a lot of things you're dealing with that nobody gives you. There's like, not like classes or like, it's not something you learned in school and, and it's, you have to be, uh, you have to really want that because I, we always felt like uh, it's certainly in the mountain nature was always trying to reclaim its land. <laughs> you, know? mm-hmm. you turn your back and it's, it's, it's going to retake, it's going to take over its space again. Um, and so I, I love that you both were, I guess, on board with this and then willing to go through some of the, I'm sure, hardships that were involved with getting established, both as a business, as the winemaking business, and then as wine growers. Yeah, the 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 whole it sounds romantic. Oh, we bought land and planted, and you skip over all the tedious details that really now, you know, it's our first harvest was in 2013 was our first vintage. So it's, it's been a long time. We planted in 2011 and and the decisions we made then are still affecting our wine today. So the, the research do, you know, ahead of time in, for example, the spacing, how wide the aisles are, you know, um, the type of rootstock um, and all of their characteristics, the clones that we used. um, And essentially we came up with a business plan at that time. And, you know, Kim was in her twenties. I was in my low thirties and we were just kind of riffing at the time. And, (laughs) and we, we essentially, the question we asked was, how do we know what to plant? And everyone's response around here was, well, plant what you love to drink. Hmm. And so um, at the time, no one in the area had, I mean, there were some exceptions, but everyone here seemed to have a lot of red wine. So we really went all white initially um, trying to find uh, white grapes and in, in the Rhone Valley and and Provence areas that um, can can thrive in the same weather conditions that we have here, and then since then we've since added on the equal amount of reds. But but at the time, I mean, the decisions we made back then, and you know, Kim in her twenties, me in my thirties, we may be in our sixties and seventies one day, saying, "Wow, we really made." the right decision or we maybe we maybe we didn't <laughs> well i remember at the time when you opened the tasting room in 2015 it was only whites yep that was yep. bold yeah people definitely thought we were crazy uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're like what do you mean you only have three white wines i'm like well i mean if this doesn't work for you come back in a couple years i promise i'll have something else for you <laughs> <laughs> and come back they obviously did Yes. Yeah. yes. Yes. And and the decision to go with uh the Rhone varietals, the Viognier and uh now uh, you also sent me a Cuvée Blanc, mm-hmm. but uh the, the, tell us about your decision to do Rhone style wines and what you like about them. Sure. Um as Todd mentioned, our advice, the advice that was given to us was plant what you like to drink because you're going to drink a lot of it. Um, and just as we had started to learn about wine, we really fell in love with all those Rhone varietals and Provence wines because they're just really easy to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of other grapes out there and they can be really tasty, but oftentimes they really make me want food with them. And we found that the Rhone varietals were very food friendly, but also really easy to drink on their own. I agree with that. that. I'm a, a mm-hmm. big Rhone fan myself. <laughs> and I remember tasting your Viognier. I had just gotten back, actually, from a visit to Rhone. And I remember running around the vineyards in Condrio, picking grapes and eating them <laughs> and being so excited. So when I came to your winery to check you all out and you were pouring this Viognier, I was like, oh, my God, this is like I'm in Condrio. Yeah, thank and, you. That's a big compliment. And, <laughs> and I was so excited about it. Your wines are elegant. And I like the kind of the, oh, they're, they're well balanced, but they're, they're, they're not fat. They're leaning more acidic than, than rich and fat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, and they just, they're beautiful in the glass. They're lovely wines. Thank you. Thank you. Our, our honeymoon was in the Rhone Valley uh, in 2009 and we visited Condrieu and we did the exact same thing you did. We were running around picking Viognier grapes in <laughs> middle of September, secretly right. eating them and Same here. Figuring, <laughs> trying to figure out how we can take this home and make this our own. <laughs> so is that when you fell in love with them? Yeah, for sure. That, that sealed the deal. 
That's so cool. Your honeymoon wines. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So romantic. <laughs> There's plenty, plenty of romance in the story for sure. <laughs> That's great. So, um, and now you have vineyard. So, um, so set the scene when people come visit, um, because you have your tasting room, but your house is there vineyards. Tell mm -hmm. us, tell us about the, the scene. Um, so as you enter the property, there is a sign to greet you, letting you know you're in the right spot. Um, and then you come in and we've got olive trees planted all over the property and you walk through olive trees and lavender and around a fountain. And then our tasting room kind of is in the center of this space with seating all the way around it, a lush green lawn, and then you're overlooking the vineyard and some foothills kind of far off from the Santa Cruz mountains. It sounds just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the name Lion Ranch. Mm. So as we waltzed our way into the Santa Clara County office building to file for our LLC, um, back before we had named the winery, um, we saw an old map of Santa Clara County from the 1800s on the wall. And we were like, oh, let's just see, you know, where San Martin is on here from way back then. And mm -hmm. we figured out where it would be, but it didn't say San Martin anywhere. It said Lion Ranch across this huge spot of where we are. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So we looked And the map was from when? Uh, late 1800s. Huh. So we looked into the history a little bit and realized that it incorporated pretty much the whole Western part of San Martin, west of the 101, and thought that was a really awesome way to kind of tie our two properties together and pay homage to the history. I love so that. You, I do too. So when you say two properties, describe that. Mm. Uh, when we first came to San Martin and planted all the white grapes, it was on one property. And then as we approached our first harvest and realized we needed space to do something with those grapes, <laughs> um, <laughs> There was a little bit of a scramble because that tiny little house didn't even have a garage or a carport or anything that could have helped out with that storage. Um, and we found another property a third of a mile down the street, right at the corner of San Martin Avenue that was available and had plenty of space for winemaking as well as a future tasting room. Um, so yeah, we've got the two properties that are a third of a mile apart. Todd drives the tractor back and forth. I always ask our customers to watch out for them, you know, early mornings. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, my parents live on that property now in the house that we were in. And it, it works out really well to have everything close together. Oh, that's so fortunate for your children as well Absolutely. to have their grandparents right there. It's so nice. Yeah. And uh, Todd, I'm curious how you manage the demands of the ER doctor world with um with wine with your wine rules and how you guys I, I have two questions like how you divide up the 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 jobs in lion ranch and then how you manage that with your other big time job being an er doc yeah some days i always wonder why i do this <laughs> <laughs> um but those are very few and far between most of the time it it's balance that helps um and we just prioritize, um, we, you know, we have a, essentially a partner meeting trying to determine what, what are our priorities for today, tomorrow, the next week, the next month, the next quarter. Um, and there's lots of things to discuss all the time. So it's a pro and a con living on site where your business is, because sometimes you can't ever get away. Um, but the pro of doing that is that you're actually here. And if you need to do something quickly, you just walk, you know, a hundred feet and you can do that that there so but as far as the, the balance between the two i work the overnights the graveyard shift essentially for three nights in a row and then the next three or four days i flip back over live a normal daytime life and um you know prioritize what needs to be done in those three or four days with the vineyard um and i work with uh an organic vineyard consultant and we who's on site and kind of my uh um, my guy who kind of tells me, you know, how things are looking and what we need to do. And, and we have a discussion 
And he sometimes has an opinion I don't agree with and vice versa. And we kind of come to an opinion on what needs to be done and how things are looking. And um, and the demands of the vineyard are extensive uh, when you're farming organically. I'm sure as both of you know, it's um, more time in the vineyard, more tending, and you're spraying organic products that don't last as long. Mm-hmm. So um, the demands in the vineyard are weekly at this point. Uh, me on the tractor about three hours every week spring, you know, all our, all our foliars, our, our probiotics, our fertilizers that are organic. And um, and then after that, um, Kim does a lot of the other uh, jobs, which she can discuss too. Um, <laughs> without her, I don't think we could, this would be successful. Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) when we first started before we had any kids, you know, when we were planting the vineyard and we were tending all the vines to ourselves, it was just so important to us to know top to bottom how this all worked. Right. Um, and I remember after weeks in the field of tending vines and bending over and all that stuff, I, like, I remember driving out and through Castroville or something and just sort of like you know, having this moment of appreciation for all the people that were out in those fields bent over working on our vegetables and stuff. Cause like I, my body knows now what that feels like. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for saying that too. That yeah. is so important for all of us to hear because it is hard work. It's oh. hard work. It is yeah. exhausting. And so, you know, as, as the tasting room opened and we had our first child and, you know, suddenly there's not as many hours in the day. And, uh, <laughs> we realized it was time to really, you know, set apart our different roles. And so Todd really focused in more on the farming because that gives him some of the Zen time that he needs coming out Mm -hmm. of the hospital. Um, And then I have had my whole life and jobs and things have been some version of customer service, I feel like, um, even professionally. And so I, I took over all the business management and staff and marketing and all of that. And then we do the winemaking together. You do. How does that work out? <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> it's, uh, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> I've been married for 25 years, so sorry if that sounded a little cynical or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's moments where we look at each other and we say, who's going to be the boss on this one? And yeah. there's a decision made and then we move forward. Um, but for the most part, we actually have really similar opinions in terms of how the winemaking is going to work. Um, you know, there's certain jobs that his, uh, strength comes in a little more handy and there's certain jobs. Like if you have to climb in a tank to scrape something, I fit a little bit better. So, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) Oh, that's great. What a partnership. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So now when you're, especially when you're blending, do you all have similar palettes? Do you agree, disagree? All of the above. Um, Okay. They tend to be pretty similar. We're often kind of between two and he'll he'll lean towards kind of the more adventurous option. And then I'm usually coming back with, yeah, that's cool. But like, I think we'll sell this other one a little easier. <laughs> so you, you bring the common sense yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. The practicality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm the kite and she's the kite holder. <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> Well, since you sent us a couple of wines, should we taste one and you guys can describe it to us and tell us what you love about it? Want to start with the Viognier? Sure. Oh, please. So this was your 2021 Viognier. 2021, not yet released. This was a special preview for you, Okay. Ooh, nice. Thank you. Um, But we can, years ago, Todd being the kite, the adventurous one, um, said, hey, we should try something crazy with this Viognier and we should do some skin contact fermentation on it and then blend it back in mm. with the direct press. Um, and we- well, and that that's something you notice about it. The color is a little more golden, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we find that um, our palates with the whites, in particular in the Rhone Valley, uh, at times are, at least for our palate, uh, have too much French oak and oftentimes mm-hmm. that hides the loveliness and the, the exoticness. And so we, we experimented with some oak early on. And, and then and in the 2017 vintage, 
we came up with this crazy idea of, of blending the skin contact in to provide extra body fullness and a little bit of tannins even, but without overpowering you with oak. And it works. It totally works. Yeah, our first our first offering was uh, almost a 50-50 blend of skin contact and direct press, and it was way over the top. <laughs> um, mm. Some people come here and still ask for it, um, but we've, we've um, cut back, and this particular offering is... 82, 18. Yeah, 82% direct press, meaning mean in the usual fashion for white wine. And then we add in, right. blend in 18% skin contact. So it's about a, what, four to one ratio. Yeah. Well, what I noticed immediately was there's great texture to this that you don't always get in a Viognier, but you still had those beautiful peach, honeysuckle, orange blossom notes, apricot, um, and just, but it's also a little savory on the mm -hmm. finish. Yeah, I think the skin contact gives it a longer finish. It gives it a little bit of texture. Um, and it also changes it a little bit. You're getting parts of the grape skin that you don't usually get in white wines uh, with Viognier. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it adds some, some true exoticness to the, to the characteristics. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. I really, and that's the first time I've ever had a Viognier that had any percentage of skin contact blended into I, it. I think, I guess the same for me too. And it's really lovely. It's a beautiful wine and easy to drink and uh, it's, it stands on its own. It's, 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 it's a gorgeous yeah. wine. It's lovely. And I also love that the alcohols, your alcohol levels are relatively moderate. Yes, that's, that's important to us as well. I mean, it really makes a difference with the balancing of the flavors, of course, too. Um, but, it, you know, with living on site with the vineyards and having our own estate vineyards, we really don't purchase any fruit from anybody else. Um, so we've got complete control over not only how they're farmed throughout the entire season, but exactly when we're going to pick. Yeah, it's nice it to is. have that. Makes a big difference. So um, you all converted to organic farming. Well, we decided um, about the time our kids were getting old, or kid or kids, I can't recall when we converted over. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all a blur. Um, uh, that, you know, if we're out walking in the vineyard with, you know, our family dog, our kids, and we don't feel safe, you know, walking in our own vineyard because of the chemicals that we spray, then we shouldn't mm -hmm. be serving that to the general public. And what we live in and what we um, share with our family, we should be able to share with the general public. And, and we feel that it's more responsible. Um, it's safer for everybody. Um, I think when you drink a Lion Ranch wine, you know, that the, the products that we use, we're safe with, we live around it, you know, it's not, uh, you know, cordoned off, do not enter, there's dangerous chemicals here sort of place, you know, right. How much harder is it? You mentioned uh, repeat sprayings of uh, organic, non uh, non toxic chemicals that you have things that you're using to try uh, prebiotics or probiotics. I'm not sure what you yeah. what you said, but stuff that you're using in the vineyard that is safe to consume, but you're repeat you're you're making repeat applications, and I'm sure there's other steps along the way. How much more work is it? And I, I understand why it's worth it to you, but how much more work does yeah, it? Yeah, I mean. So if you think about how a, a grapevine grows, uh, when you see them in the winter, they're dormant and there's two arms that stick out to each side. As bud break occurs and each cane starts to push north towards the sun, every week you get an inch or two of growth uh, during a slow week or maybe more during a, a uh, like a hotter week or something. And so you can imagine you drive by that vine on each side once, and then in another week that goes by, there's a significant amount of growth that occurs out of that uh, dormant arm. And so the, the new leaves that come out, the new, the new canes that come out are not covered in the protectant probiotics that we spray. And so as a fungal spore is circulating through the air and lands on that, it starts reproducing because of these probiotics we spray don't eat up the fungal, sp the fungal spore. And so it's it's yeah. really prudent to continually coat these leaves with these probiotic uh, bacteria that can then 
the vine learns that it can protect itself and it focuses more on ripening and growing rather than trying to ward off all these these things that 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 might cause it to stop growing or the grapes to stop ripening so it's really prudent to be regular and not skip a week because you skip one week and all the hard work goes out the door mm. <laughs> hummer, yeah. hummer. well and and also um with being organic now and um you have I want you to talk about the baby doll sheep, what role they play in your vineyard. And I also scrolling through your Instagram, the Lion Ranch Instagram, I noticed some beehive boxes. Yeah. Um, you know, as we, as we've evolved and learned, um, you know, we went from kind of a non-toxic sustainable outlook to organic. And then now we've veered even farther towards the regenerative farming idea, um, which is a fairly new concept for most people. But the idea is that instead of just using the earth for what you need it for, you're actually trying to give back to it and heal the ground. Um, and so I just kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that, you know, giving back to the earth and healing it, yeah. that's one of the best explanations of regenerative farming I've heard. Yeah. And it makes everybody want to get behind the notion of it too. It makes just good common sense. Yeah. It's not only common sense, but it, um, it makes, you know, looking into the future easier for us knowing that things now might be harder than in the future. If we keep uh, practicing uh, regeneratively, uh, the bees, provide they pollinate the baby doll sheep you know they aerate they fertilize uh, they keep weeds under control that we don't want and um this again, wait what you have baby doll sheep in the vineyard what, what are i've never even heard of a baby doll sheep are they, many? <laughs> they look like little teddy bears in the face <gasps> oh, oh cute <laughs> the bees aren't necessary in the vineyard at all grapevines are self-pollinators they don't need that kind of assistance um, but that move of having the bees put on the property was really just a step towards the regenerative idea of like, this is something that we have space for that we can do that is helpful. That's really the point, right? Okay. And what do the baby doll sheep do? So their little hooves are nice little aerators. Um, and then they eat the weeds that we don't want. And then they make fertilizer out of those weeds. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just a nice little, you know, eco cycle to mm -hmm. let them do their thing in this space that we have. How many do you have, and and what's what does the care and feeding of them look like? We're we've had three lambs so far this spring, and and I can tell you there's at oh. least one more, um, one or two more coming. There's another uh, sheep that's pregnant right now still, and oh. yeah, so I mean, yet another job that we have. <laughs> undertaken is learning how to take care of livestock <laughs> uh, and helping sheep deliver lambs, oh, which boy. we never thought we would be doing in our lifetime either. Oh my goodness. Uh, but you may have some expertise in that department, given like, I'm sure there's been somebody who's walked into the ER ready to deliver. Oh, he's delivered lots of babies. Yeah. 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 I, yeah so, I mean, it's not, a, it's not livestock, yeah. but there may be some similarities. I don't no, know. Not, not at all. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, let's taste another wine. We've got this beautiful Cuvée Blanc mm -hmm. here, a 2020 Cuvée Blanc. Yeah, this was our first offering, uh, much like we were just speaking about the Skin Contact Viognier. 2020 has been our, our only year so far that we've done Skin Contact Grenache Blanc also. Oh. And so this is a 44. 46% Peak Pool Blanc and 45% Roussan direct press. And the 9% Grenache Blanc that we blended in was actually skin contact. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. What it's it's really a lovely, lovely blend. It's floral. It's got a lot of zest to it. It's um got some herbal notes too, some mint, a little bit of mint and thyme, I think. Mm. But um, what I noticed was it really exploded in my mouth with just intense flavor and richness, but it, but mm -hmm. that richness was really well balanced by great acidity. Excellent. Sounds like everything we were going for, Mary. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Yay. 
the blend of that trio, Pool, Roussan, and Grenache Blanc, is that an unusual blend or is that a typical blend? Is that your proprietary design? And uh... It is our homage to the white wines of the Chateauneuf de Pomp, which is that little wine region in the Rhone that's very famous and has tons of history. Um, and you know, the different parts of the Rhone are allowed to grow different kinds of grapes. Viognier is not one of them. So that one, Viognier doesn't typically go into this blend of ours because this is really our Chateauneuf de Pop Blanc. Mm -hmm. Love it. Nice. So, so good. Um, so I noticed on all your wines, and you, we have a red that we will taste here shortly, but um, all three bottles you sent to us are under screw cap, even mm, the red. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, which I was so appreciative of. I'm I'm a big fan of the screw cap. It makes much easier uh, in the fridge storage yeah. if you have a crowded fridge like I do. You know, so it, it's just easier to set on its laid down on its side with the screw cap. It's just more practical to, like I took it to this little gathering of friends, and it just was so simple. I didn't have to deal with the yeah. opener. I mean, the practicality of it is a win for sure. Um, mm -hmm. If you haven't gathered at all, Todd likes to know things and research things and then likes to stand proudly with his opinions and uh, <laughs> one of those was around screw caps before we ever even harvested um so he was he came to me one day and he was like i've done all the research and screw caps are the closure of choice and i was like I, you don't have to tell me twice <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. Uh, um, but as a, you know, having experienced corked wines and stuff with mm -hmm. with wines that have corks, um, I couldn't bear to think about like all the blood, sweat, and tears that we put into getting these wines into the bottle, and then just to like stick an old piece of wood in it and hope that it works out okay. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I feel like your screw cap is a little, it's a not, it's a notch above because it's kind of an mm. elegant look. It's not ridged or ribbed all the way down, you know, it, um, it's deceptive. You first look at it, you're like, oh, is this a cork? And then like, and it's smooth to your hand as you, anyway, I <laughs> yeah. just feel like you guys went for a, a, a higher level of screw cap. Yeah. Is that intentional? Absolutely. It's seamless. It's seamless. Yeah. yeah the yeah. perception of quality um, from some consumers, they look at it and they say, oh, this must be a great wine. There must be a cork in there. And then they're, they're, they're deceived. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But this is, this is a Stelvin Lux. Uh, I'm not in any way associated uh. with them, but this is their <laughs> highest level screw cap. And, and, and there's only a few mobile bottling trucks in California that actually have the technology to put these on. And so we pay a little extra to have a higher quality cap for consumers so that they don't have these grooved things that spin and spin and you can't get them open. So, um, yeah, yes, I've encountered too many yeah, of those. We affectionately call those spinners. So <laughs> um, by having the Lux cap, it, uh, it makes it easier for the consumer. It's more cost for us. But passing on convenience and quality is is always what uh, we're we're striving for. Love that. Any other benefits of the Stelvin Lux in terms of like, uh, there's ageability or anything in the cap? Because some I heard somebody recently tell me that some caps are designed to kind of let a little air, a little. Yeah. There's a, a a member of some sort in the cap. Yeah, there's uh, it's. I mean, obviously the, the screw cap itself is metal and you don't want metal to come in contact with wine because you don't want to drink um, food products that have been resting in metal. It's not healthy for you. But the, the part that actually seals the wine away from the screw cap metal is a little wafer and it's a food grade um, and it's it's manufactured. I'm not sure what type of, I think it's plastic, Um but it, it, it's got a constant rate of oxygen that permeates and then they call it the oxygen transfusion rate or OTR. And you can get different OTRs. Um, you can actually order how much oxygen you want to come in contact with the wine. And typically whites, you age with the tightest, the lowest amount of oxygen and the reds, you want more. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's amazing how the technology on screw caps has evolved. Yeah. And it's, um, to me, um, going forward, you know, this is, this goes back to our regenerative organic, you know, this is carbon footprint, 
um, you know, a positive step towards, you know, reducing our carbon footprint. It's aluminum recyclable. It's not a, a product like, you know, that's going to go away like a, like trees in Portugal. Um, and so uh, we also strive to have lighter weight bottles mm -hmm. that while we're mm -hmm. shipping them, they weigh less. Yes. It's a carbon footprint positive for us. So all of this is has all been thought of, you know, years ago, and this is what we want to offer to our customers. That's great. I definitely noticed the lighter bottles because recently I've gotten some super heavy ones that are like, I could use this to do dumbbell curls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate if you're going to lean one way, I don't need like the fake elegance of a heavier bottle i would rather the thoughtfulness of being um planet positive you know something that is not going to harm us all you know and that we won't regret down the line so thank you for that for thinking ahead and thinking you know as parents i get that you're thinking of your children's future too we have to be good stewards absolutely, absolutely. so um another thing i i i read or noticed um about you all is um all these kind of cool events that you do. Um, I know several years ago, I took a few yoga classes from you, Kim, at the winery, but- Yeah, she told me about that. I'm like, what? She does yoga? She's a yoga instructor too? Yeah, that was fun. I feel really like not working hard. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and I've seen like, you did a Girl Scout and cookie, mm -hmm. Girl Scout cookie and wine pairing. You've done some things where there's something with knitting and lower arrangements, kind of talk about all these different, it seems like really fun events you have at the winery. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of the benefit of being in a business like this is that you can really kind of make anything you want a business expense, right? <laughs> when I wanted to have a paella and Latin dance lesson, like, oh, I can like invite 30 of my closest friends and charge people. And like, I get to have this party at my house. <laughs> um, in addition to that, I've really just tried to kind of let the community know that we are a place that's open to trying different things. And so, you know, there's so many of us out in the community that have these different talents and have these different passions and interests and so when someone approaches me and says, hey, you know, I love plants and I love teaching these succulent arranging classes, I say, great, like, let's put something on the calendar and we'll see if it works out. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a there's like an arts and crafts workshop place in Morgan Hill that's come out a number of times to do these um, giant knitted blankets where you don't use needles, you just use your hands. They're like wow. six foot by six foot blankets kind of thing. They're beautiful. Um, we've done wreaths out of the grapevine cuttings, you know, when we, prune, mm -hmm. um, we have a lady come out that teaches everybody how to shape them into a wreath and put succulents on it. We did the same thing with some olive tree cuttings in the winter. Um, we've done the Latin dance, the paella. We had like a country lion dancing party last year. Um, and we have our famous lion ranch annual Halloween mm -hmm. Halloween bash, which was essentially our way of just saying, we want to have fun. We need to have a party uh, for adults only. And let's just have a Halloween party and we can all dress up and be silly. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, you know, when I was looking at your website, what I like too is on your event page, you talk about gatherings Absolutely. people can do. And it is, it's such a clear menu of options where you, you know, you put the pricing right up there per person. You talk about ways they can, you can upgrade the experience, but um, you welcome groups of 12 to 36 people on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays with reservations, and they can kind of uh, take a potpourri of things they want, meaning um, choosing their flight, choosing whether they want uh, floor, flowers on the table, food, you name it. And I just thought, wow, what a, what a great way to just kind of take all the guesswork out of it and let people peruse the options and pick what they want to do and then provide the cool space for yeah. them and the wine. Yeah, it's, you know, that's one of those things that's kind of evolved over the years, but we've found that it's a really popular option for people who want to kind of put one of these gatherings together but don't necessarily want to be the one to figure it out um we've got it all figured out you know 
you totally dummy proof it for people like me, like, oh, I don't, what do I want? Oh, gee, you know, and, and it's just all right there. And, and you're really upfront about the pricing. So I love that too. Yeah, that's, that's really. That's, and in the pricing, by I should mention, it's reasonable. It is reasonable. Seriously, yes, really good. For sure. For sure. Well, we've got one more wine to try. Uh, we don't want to let you go without tasting your 2020 Alpha. Yeah. Did you look at all this the different a, grapes in here, I did. Oh my gosh. It's like, how many grapes can you put into this? <laughs> we officially now have all of the uh, red grapes from the Chateauneuf de Pop Appalachian. Um, so we have eight red grapes that we yeah. grow on our estate, which we're very proud of. I was reading about wow. the, especially three of them that I'd never really heard of. Um, the Tourette Noir, the Mescardin, and the Vaccarese. Um, yeah. And I think you guys are some of the only folks in California growing these. I would say there are less than five, if not even <laughs> less than that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. We, we, I mean, we, we love blends. I mean, uh, especially red blends that uh, we like the uniformity and the tradition of a single varietal offering but red blends or excuse me blending of reds especially adds such layers and textures and each red grape is different and if if you were to have each of these eight reds separately you'd say oh it's pretty good it's yeah it's it's really nice and then you put them all together and it's compounded exponentially in quality well, tell us for our listeners, tell us what you guys love about the Alpha Estate and what they're, what, what people will taste with it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so this is a, this is a Grenache, a mainly Grenache blend. So this is 49% Grenache Noir and the next uh, two in line are 16% Syrah and 15% Tourette Noir. And so most people don't know what Tretinoir is, which is really fun as a as as somebody who's selling this. And so we tend to not try to put in people's minds what they're supposed to smell or taste. Um, traditionally, I can tell you what what these you know really are supposed to smell and taste like. But I, I actually, I'd like to hear your 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 opinions. What what do you smell and taste on these? Oh, well, it, you know, I mentioned it was really complex. It had a very intense nose. Like first, the color, I, I was expecting a more opaque color, but it actually it's like more of this garnet cranberry color that's kind of medium and a little bit see-through. But then on the nose, I get this really great waxy red floral, like camilla flower, um, even a little bit of tuberose, which is um, a waxy white flower. It's just this waxiness in the nose. Um, red and black fruits. Um, I get, I get licorice. I get sage. Mm. I get black pepper, cardamom, cinnamon. Yeah. Um, a little bit of black olive. It, it definitely has, you know, kind of a, a tannic grip, but it's not too heavy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of cherry. Um, yeah, it's so lovely. It's 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 kind of fruit forward but then there's a lot more complexity after that kind of you get the fruit at first and then um more spice as it kind of moves in your mouth and down yeah. your throat yeah <laughs> i totally agree i really love the the brightness and the acidic at the beginning and then it just really changes and gets more and more interesting yeah the three red grapes that maybe no one else uh, who's listening has ever heard of are the ones that add the spice and the um uh, like allspice uh, uh cinnamon cardamom all these interesting things that red grapes oftentimes don't offer are in these other three red grapes and honestly we've not made a single varietal of each of these three so we just kind of know what they smell and taste like on their own before they get blended because we have such small amounts of these we've never made <laughs> we've never made a single varietal yet so um no, it's it's, well, it's really interesting and and it's fun that you guys like to experiment. I agree, and it's you've created some really gorgeous wines, and I like that they're not the, the same thing we're tasting everywhere else. You know, I feel like I like the in fact you guys kind of picked a lane, and then you're doing you know your very best work within that lane, and I love it. So good thank for you. you. Yeah, that was. That was a decision made early on was it's going to be all Rhone's mm -hmm. or it's not going to be. 
<laughs> hey, we, one of the questions I want to ask you. So you've got two two kids, yes. two boys, two boys, and what uh, are their they're ages? They're about to both have their birthdays, so we'll call them ten and five. Ten and five, okay. And do you think about them coming into this uh, family business? I know that's hard to predict and stuff, but is are they enjoying being kind of in the vineyard with you and in and being part of the winemaking experience, just secondhand? I would say so. Yeah, there's there's definitely aspects of it that they really enjoy. Like the younger one, especially as he you know when he was two and three years old, was like, when when do I get fresh grape juice? I'm like, it's not the right season for that. It's <laughs> once a year. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. These are boys that are growing up around all these things that, that they don't realize no one else grows up around yet. Like so, forklifts and tractors. Yeah. And they just, they just take all these toys right. for granted. So I think as they get a little older, they'll realize, you know, their friends don't have all these cool things that they can use. So, um, yeah, I think they'll appreciate it more as they grow. And I think it kind of goes in part with your very intentional decisions the two of you have made, um, intentionally leaving a big city and moving into the country and um, intentionally farming organically and creating a space that feels safe and healthy for your family and for your customers. And I just, um, I admire that with the intentionality and the, um, Oh, the good stewardship that goes along with what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kim and Todd, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, sipping wine with you, and just you know, hearing your story. Thank you for letting us tell your story. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, we appreciate you having us. Yeah, it has been a real pleasure and continued success to Lion Ranch and to both of you. Enjoy these days with your kids being little and it's all so crazy and busy, <laughs> but uh, it goes by in a flash. So enjoy <laughs> it so much. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, you two. Cheers and sip, sip, hooray. Sip, sip, hooray. Cheers. <laughs> Well, that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. We hope if you enjoyed the show that you'll share it with your friends, your family, spread the word about the Sip Sip Hooray podcast. Absolutely. So yeah, give us a review, give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Follow us on social media. We are at Sip Sip Hooray podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Leave us a comment. Leave us a question. Um, let's engage. Let's have a conversation. It's not just me and Mary talking at you. It's me and Mary B wanting to also listen. If you've got ideas, we welcome them. You can also get more information on our podcast at sipsiphooraypodcast.com. Absolutely. All right, Mary Orlin, it's time to say goodbye and sip, sip, hooray. Cheers to you. Cheers to you, Mary Babbitt. Sip, sip, hooray. <laughs>